Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Pi Podcast, the show by members of the Raspberry Pi community for the Raspberry Pi community. I'm Joe. And I'm Alred. And coming up, we've got a great interview with Sway Grantham, who is a primary school teacher who is teaching coding and Pi stuff to kids that are younger than you think would appreciate it. So do stick around for that. But first, let's do the news. And there's two really big pieces of news uh, that came out recently. One is that uh, Premier Farnell has been sold to a, uh, a company called, I think it's Datevala, for uh, nearly £800 million. Yeah, it's a lot of money. And it's basically a, a merger between Premier Farnell and their main competitor, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I haven't been looking at Premier Farnell as a business, just they sell pies, you know, that's that's what they do and they they, they have the license to uh, manufacture them. But from reading it, it looks like their fortunes haven't been going in the right direction for the last while. So it looks like this makes sense to them. And what do you think it might mean in terms of the, the Raspberry Pi and the Pi Foundation? Do you think anything will change as a result of this? Um, I think that's to be seen. I mean, the, the thing is, Premier Farnell is one of the organizations that has the license to manufacture the Raspberry Pi. I mean, the, the Raspberry Pis themselves are manufactured at a, a Sony factory. So if this new company that's purchased Premier Farnell decide that the pie is not core to their business, I would expect at this stage there are enough other organizations that would step in to uh, take the business. You know, I, th- I think the pie is is a profitable business is what I can see. So I would expect they'd want to keep it. But if they decide it's not core, I, I could see other organizations being happy to step in now that it's proven itself. And I think the, re- the really important thing to remember here is that Premier Farnell has the license I believe from uh, Raspberry Pi Trading to manufacture the Raspberry Pi. They don't own the Raspberry Pi. They don't own the IP for it. They have the right to use it. So they're kind of the middleman between Raspberry Pi Trading and the manufacturers, and they're the main one of the main retailers for it as well. So their their hold over the Raspberry Pi, if you know what I mean, isn't 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 all consuming. So they could be replaced, or again, if they decide that they want to go big on it, then they could go even further. I mean, what would be fantastic if uh, the new organization decided that there was a business in the Pi Zero and decided to try and take that on and get it into uh, into retail? Yeah, because I keep saying, you know, and I tweeted out the link that it was available, but then a few hours later, it's just not available. I, I know that Evan said they're making a lot of these Pi Zeros, but... The, the demand is so high that you'd think that a, a major company would be interested, but then it's just, it's so cheap, isn't it? The price, how cheap, <laughs> how cheaply can you make it? Yeah. I mean, you know, at, at, in the UK at four pounds, it's, th- there can't be much margin on it, you know? So I can see why, um, the, the foundation or pie trading manufacture them and then sell them through a limited number of retailers that are happy to take them. Um, but yeah, again, they, they get sold out nearly immediately. I think I did see uh, last week there was one of the retailers did have some the following day, but then again, they went very, very quickly. So we're, we're still in a situation that the demand is outstripping the supply on the uh, Pi Zero. Yeah, well, of the, the two potential problems, that's probably the one you want to have, isn't it? <laughs> definitely, definitely. Okay, well, yeah, fingers crossed on that one. Hopefully it's good news. But what is definitely good news is that Eben Upton has been given a CBE. He's commander of the British Empire now. Yeah, I, I to look this up, I'm Irish, so all of this British awards thing, I don't know. I don't know where a CBE comes into it. So I had a look at it, and first of all, the 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 lowest 
which is still amazing, is member or most member of the most excellent order of the British Empire, which is the MBE. The OBE is the officer of the most excellent British Order of the Empire. And then the CBE is commander of the most excellent order of the British Empire. And then the one above that, which again, I'm just, I'm just amazed that commander is, is just one level below. It's knight commander or dame commander of the most excellent order of the British Empire. So it's, it's one level below a knight and it's higher than an OB. I, ne- I could never tell whether an OB or a CB was, was better. So this is, this is fantastic recognition for, you know, everything that Eben has done. And what I loved was Eben tweeted out that, you know, it's a, it's a, the, the foundation, the organization is what caused this to happen. You know, not just him, but obviously being the face of it, he's the one who's being named for the recognition. But I did love that he gave credit where credit was due to the rest of the team behind it. Yeah, I mean, it does feel that way, doesn't it? That it's the honour is, it's being bestowed upon the whole organisation, you know, specifically Liz and, well, basically all the team there. But uh, I, I hadn't realised that it was one below knighthood. I, I knew there was a few different ones, so I'm glad you've looked that up there. So, uh, yeah, it, it really goes to show, doesn't it, that um, the impact the pies had when uh, the, the founder of it is is almost getting a knighthood. Let's fingers crossed that he'll actually uh, get the next one then before too long. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Sir Evan, I don't think I could get used to saying that to him. <laughs> you might insist that we use it. <laughs> and then the uh, another record or a new, another new thing happened uh, recently as well, uh, a new high altitude ballooning record. So we, we spoke to uh, Dave Aikman a while back and uh, he was saying about the Pi Zero not being perfect because it didn't have the camera uh, connector on it. And then they put the camera connector on it and Evan even described it as a Dave Aikman special. Um, and he has actually flown one and he's put together a new high altitude record for the highest amateur photograph taken. Um, and I've written down here 41,837 metres. So nearly 42,000 meters in, in, in the stratosphere. And he, uh, was live streaming pictures back from there, which is amazing. Cause actually the, um, the payload got lost. So, uh, the, the picture is, is the memory that we now have of, of that flight. Yeah. The camera he said was, uh, he can tell you it's within a five mile radius. And if you want to go and get one, uh, pick one up for free if you can find it. <laughs> but it was a great set of photographs, wasn't it? It was absolutely amazing to see that, you know, that's come from a Raspberry Pi and a Zero as well. Yeah, and, the, you know, they did some work on the technology so they could send down bigger photographs with, you know, more detail than they, they used to be able to do before, which is really, really cool. And and also, I don't know if you saw it, the, um, uh, the chase car, they put together a... Um, a control panel that looked like it was out of a Star Trek. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they made it, they made it look Star Trek like. So it's actually really, really cool. So it's nice to see kind of a bit of, uh, design and not just pure functionality going into what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's why they put the camera connector on there and it's, uh, it's already done its job for Dave. So yeah, good stuff. And, uh, speaking of going up high, even higher than that, astronaut Tim Peake returned to Earth this week. He did, yeah. I mean, Tim was doing um, experiments using the Raspberry Pi on on the the ISS space station, uh, so that was that was amazing to see him. But I, I, you know, whenever you see him doing a report from there, there was always a, a Raspberry Pi kind of on the wall behind, and it's in its flight case. I mean, th- this is one of the kind of I can't believe they managed to do this type projects. If you know what I mean, they convinced all the space agencies involved to allow them to put Raspberry Pis 
onto the space station and run the experiments and then convince them that, oh yeah, and what we're going to do is we're going to get uh, children in schools to write the code. So it's, it, it's not going to be scientists writing, it's going to be children doing it, doing experiments that they believe are important. And uh, that's the code you're going to use. Hang on, children can be scientists too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but it's just, it just shows that that's, that's where it's at, you know, that the, the Raspberry Pi made that possible. You know, you put the, the sense hat on and all the sensors that, you know, you need for the experiments they did are built in. So rather than having to figure out this crazy set of, you know, technologies and protocols and communication, the foundation just ripped all of that difficulty out of it and made it really simple to do what even, you know, a few years ago would be highly technical and, and you know, very, very specialist work. And now children in the school have been enabled to do it. And there's there's a whole load of, if you go to the resources section on the Raspberry Foundation, there's uh, actual coursework or, or, or how to describe it, programs of work where you can run a lot of the same experiments without going into space. So they've made that available. They, they took what they learned from uh, the space program and put it into resources that you can use directly in school now. And importantly, the data from the AstroPi experiments uh, has been made public. So you can analyze that alongside the data that you get from your own experiments. Yeah, I, I pulled down one of the data sets, the four-week data set, and uh, there's a lot of information in there. There's a lot of data points. I I didn't analyze it because I was skiving at lunchtime in work. So I pulled it down, had a look at what the data points were, and uh, just did a quick graph and saw lines bouncing around the place. And, you, you know, you're kind of looking at it going, why is that one different? What's so I, I could see, I can see there being a lot of, um, a lot of learnings out of this. And again, the foundation in the resources section has put together, you know, some, uh, a coursework or a project based around this so that, uh, kids can get involved with not only creating the code that does the experiment in space, but also now that they've the data set, showing them how to actually analyze it as well. Yeah, and it just goes to show that how cross-curricular the Pi can be because it's not only computer stuff, is it? It's the data then can be analysed, and that's a whole different subject, isn't it? That's like you know statistics and maths and everything. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, excellent stuff. Well, uh, that'll do it for the news. Then let's move on. This episode of the Pi Podcast is sponsored by My Devices KN. Jumpstart your Raspberry Pi projects and accelerate development with KN's drag and drop IoT project builder. Yeah, you can add and remotely control sensors, motors, actuators, which I had to look up. It basically means outputs. Um, or you can control things directly on the uh, GPIO pins. Yeah, and it's got customizable dashboards. And it's all drag and drop, isn't it? You've got widgets for your various connected devices that you can move around. Yeah, it, you literally start off with things like your temperature, your storage, your memory, your network. So you can get a, a status on just the Pi. But then as you add sensors... You can either show them or not show them. So in many instances, you may not care about the um, input sensor, but you might care about the output. So you may not care about looking at whether a, a, a trip has been switched, but you care that it's done the activity that you want. So you don't put everything on the screen. You can pick and choose which ones you want, and you can drag them around. So you can put your most important things at the top and the less important things lower down. And the great thing is you can uh, simplify the automation. It's got uh, triggers and you can set threshold alerts for things like um, temperature or humidity um, on your devices. And then you can run events. Uh, so this would be calendared activities. 
So if you want every morning to turn on a light or to check a reading on something on a, a device, then you can do that quite easily. You just, again, it's all drag and drop. You drag in which Raspberry Pi you're working on, which sensor it is. You just pick it. You decide how you want to do it. And then you can get, you know, you can, it can either do an action on either the same Raspberry Pi or another one, or it can send you uh, an SMS or an email notification. Yeah, and you can schedule the events to be one time or multiple time, and it makes the automation of it just really easy. Yeah, and again, it's all just in your um, your dashboard. It's it's very straightforward. There's a web version. There's a, a mobile version for Android and iOS. I was using the iOS one. Yeah, I was using Android uh, and also the web, and they were both just as easy. I actually set it up on Android, and it was just really quick and easy. You just sign up and let it do its thing, and a few minutes later, it's uh, all up and running. So it's not all on one Pi. It goes across multiple Raspberry Pis, and they don't even have to be on the same network in the same location. The My Devices takes care of that for you. You can create your account online or download the Android or iOS app. And the best thing is it's free. So check it out at bit.do slash KN. That's KN as in the pepper, the spicy stuff. Bit.do slash KN. Free sign up and you can get going in minutes. We're now joined by Sway Grantham, who is a primary school teacher and specialist leader in education for computing. So welcome, Sway. Hi. So apart from the fact that you're a primary school teacher, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, um, I've always been interested in technology and playing with computers and everything to do with them. So I kind of combined that with education to try out new things in the classroom using technology, everything from tablet computers to Raspberry Pis to anything else I can get my hand on, robots and floor control units, things like that. And you're mainly, is it primary school or secondary school? Mainly primary school. Um, I've done a little bit of work with transition to secondary schools, um, invited secondary school teachers to come and see what my year fives and year sixes were doing, scared them a little bit, but um, helped them out with what they could do to challenge them further. Um, also support the teachers at the lower end of my school. So my scope in supporting teachers runs from children around four years old um, all the way up through primary to 11. And you mentioned there in the introduction that you're a specialist leader of education in computing. What What is that? Um, a specialist leader in education for computing is um, a position that I applied for to allow me to help teachers on a teacher-to-teacher basis. Um, a lot of help for teachers comes from people outside of teaching, which is great, and they're experts in their field, but it can be really difficult for them to understand the day-to-day life of a teacher and the expectations there are when you have 30 small people looking at you in a room. So I go into schools, I run CPD, um, professional development, that is, and um, I support subject leaders to help them be able to take control of the subject so that when I leave, they can continue doing great things after, after I've gone. And so where does the Raspberry Pi fit into this then? When did you first become aware of it? Um, I went to a Raspberry Jam in 2012. Um, I'm lucky enough to live near the National Museum of Computing in Bletchley. So it's really um, exciting that I was able to go there. And that's where I encountered the Raspberry Pi for the first time. Um, Didn't really know anything about it. I'd heard about it, went along mostly it was full of people that didn't yet have one because of the backlog of getting hold of them so it was lots of us going oh it sounds really cool but when we eventually see one um, I'm sure it'll be even better and there the community really supported me in seeing what it could do and seeing what I could achieve with it and then I took 
ideas from there and started trying them out at home and taking them in as demos to class. Um, eventually, we won some free Raspberry Pis from the Raspberry Pi Foundation, which got them into the classroom and got us to start using them and show other teachers what we could do with them. Were they the, uh, the Google-sponsored ones? Yes, yeah. We got five, which included everything um, that you'd need to get started um, we didn't actually have any monitors because um, we were a Mac school at the time. So I sent out a tweet saying, please, has anyone got five monitors they don't mind giving me? And seven turned up at my school the next day, which I was really quite impressed with. I didn't even have to pick them up. So um, that, that was really great and got us started. And off we went from there, really. And what kind of things did you start doing with the Pi to begin with? And, and what ages did you do it with? I started with anyone that was interested. So um, I'd, I'd been talking about this crazy thing called a Raspberry Pi. And when I go to jams, I then go back to school and show them pictures of what I've seen, just really to show that I'm still learning things, even though I'm their teacher, I don't know everything. So they'd already heard bits and pieces from me and the grapevine would sort of pass from there. I'd have children coming up to me asking me about this cherry pie thing they'd heard about. There was lots of, <laughs> oh, what's this? It's, it's supposedly a computer. Um, and actually, the first thing that I do with it is just, hold it up, show it to them, pass it around. And we would probably spend an hour or two just figuring out what it might do and how it might work, which to people that are used to just plugging things on and getting on with it sounds quite boring, but they're fascinated by it and they'll look for things they recognize. So they they would talk about USB and what they knew USB meant and sound like they were quite professional because they knew what this was. And uh, I remember one child looked through, a uh, you got like an information book with it. And um, one child said, oh, this one's for Ethernet. <laughs> and I said, oh, right, what's that for then? Oh, I don't know. Get out an iPad and have a quick Google so that he could find out and then seem like the expert in the room and explain what that was for. So it, it's really great to show the curiosity that they have with just exploring it and plugging things in because um, often in schools, we're so cautious about them accidentally breaking something or shorting something out that would cause the computer room to be out of use for the rest of the year them being able to plug things in was a completely novel experience that they uh, spent a lot of time enjoying. Fantastic. And, and have you got them in your school now permanently plugged into the network or are they, or is it a separate network, if you know what I mean? Yeah, we, we have them as standalone units. We don't use them on the internet purely because it's easier that way. Um, we teach computing in our normal classrooms. So you've got 30 desks that are also there for maths and English and everything else. Um, so the equipment all has to be got out in, and put away again. So in terms of access to the network ports and connecting them to the internet, it's a lot easier to have them um, stand, stand alone. We just update the SD cards when we need to. Um, we They are very good at getting them out. So we have it all very organized. Everything's labeled. They know that they have SD card two with keyboard two with um, Raspberry Pi 2, etc, etc. So they come and get the stuff they need. They get it all plugged in. We move the table so that they're near the power sockets and the walls. Um, and they can get it all pretty much set up in about five minutes now. Digital leaders come and set them up at lunchtime and we're ready to go for the afternoon. So you attended the first ever Pi Academy, didn't you? Yes, um, I did. Presumably that formalised things a little bit more in your classroom then? Yeah, so um, interestingly, I was already doing stuff in my classroom before Pi Academy because I was, I was quite an early adopter. So I was invited to Pi Academy to come and sort of try it out and see how it went. Um, and it was a fantastic experience. And even as someone that was doing stuff already, um, I learned so much in terms of talking to other teachers and seeing about projects they were doing. 
Um, it gave us a range of ideas, but also gave me a, almost a shopping list of little things I wanted to purchase that could be really versatile. So things like having a box of LEDs lying around and a few breadboards that people could play with. It led me then to, I set up a tinker station in the corner, which would then mean that children could come over and see something working, but then poke it and break it if they wanted to, but see why that suddenly stopped working. And there was a lot of learning that came from just exploring which was almost my response to my time at Pi Academy and the time I'd had to explore and ex- try and work out why something suddenly didn't work or what I'd done wrong. And what was your sort of feeling about the, the, the level of the teachers, or the level's probably the wrong word, but the experience of the teachers at Pi Academy? Was it, were there a lot of people who were already doing stuff or was it a very mixed bunch? It was very mixed. It mixed. It was primary and secondary. So, um, There was also diversity there, but I'd say probably some of the secondary teachers were more scared than the primary teachers because of the level of expertise required to meet the computing curriculum. They had gone from 10, 15 years in their career of teaching ICT and knowing how to use office products and how to, you know, create spreadsheets and things to suddenly being told that their their children in their classes should be able to program in a written text-based programming language. Um, I remember one quote from someone who was in my cohort saying at the end, thank you to the Raspberry Pi staff and saying that she thought she was going to have to quit her job because she didn't have the skills she needed and couldn't learn them to be able to continue teaching her subject and that they'd inspired her and showed her that it was easier and it could be done. Um, and I thought that was a real powerful message um, to show what could be done where we weren't necessarily getting that training and support from elsewhere. That sounds crazily daunting as a as a moment in time for teachers. When I mean, computing teachers, their world just changed. Yes, yeah. So we were given a year's notice, but a year's notice while still teaching full time. So uh, as a primary school teacher, I teach twelve subjects a week, and of course, I'm expected to be an expert in all of them uh, up to the primary level. So so suddenly, be told on top of that that you need to be able to program and you need to understand these these big words like algorithms that we'd never heard of before and they weren't used in common practice outside of tech circles um, there's a lot of jargon in the curriculum that took a lot of time for people to get their heads around and we're only really beginning to see schools getting more comfortable with it now although there are still a lot that are struggling through and getting by and to what extent does scratch help with that then um you know giving them an introduction to concepts of programming before they actually get down and dirty with the code i mean have you found that to be a good introduction for them Yes, Scratch is a great way to get them started. Um, even children in sort of year one, year two, depending on their reading ability, are able to use core Scratch like you get on the website. And it, it's a great introduction to um, allow them to start moving things and taking control of a character, which they really like. Um, the literary aspect of it makes it a bit challenging when you get younger, further down, but there is Scratch Junior on an iPad now, which which makes a difference. Um And it's great for teaching concepts. One of the things we have found is that teachers love it. It's brightly coloured, it's colour coded, but then there's a nervousness about moving away from it. So we've I've worked in schools where we've looked back through the education history of that child and they started learning Scratch in year two and they will still be learning Scratch in year nine. So there's some work that I've been doing to ensure that we're getting progression through Scratch and there's absolutely nothing wrong with using Scratch in year nine, but to make sure we're encouraging children to create more challenging programs with um, more challenging aspects to the code. So what else do you introduce besides Scratch? You're saying Scratch is a great place to start. What else do you use? 
Um, what I found um, with my year five, year six, so the top end of primary, we've done a couple of years of intensive scratch, making sure they understand the concepts with unplugged activities and things like that. They would then look at me and go, okay, but what does real programming look like? Um, and there was a, an amount of surprise there that they, they just looked to me and said, but I know this isn't what happens in industry. I know that the people that work for Microsoft or Google or wherever do not sit there and drag colored blocks around the screen, that there, there's more to it than that. And um, that that surprised me when it first came out of them. So I had a chat to them and I saw, we talked about how it can be quite tricky to move away from that because their typing skills, it takes them a long time to type anything and you make spelling mistakes and you have to be so specific. But they were intrigued and they wanted to have a go. So I started introducing Python. Um, experimenting at their level, I would give them code. They would try and edit it. They would follow their own interests so that they were specifically doing something they were motivated to do. But they really took to it um, and were really pleased that they were doing something that was more like you would see in the real world. And is Sonic Pi a good kind of intermediate? Oh, yeah, I love Sonic Pi. Sonic Pi is one of the things I tend to use in between Python and Scratch because there's a lot less syntax and jargon. You know, you can use the word play. It's just written like the word play is. You can use a, a, a random number and sleep and things like that. So typing-wise, there's a lot less. It's got some really nice interfaces with um, you start typing something and it drops down and suggests what you're typing. So if you're slow, you can start using that to speed you up and to spell the words correctly. Um, but also with the being able to hear your code, it's a great way to support those children that maybe struggle with reading in terms of debugging. So they will listen to a piece of music and they will hear duh, duh, uh, and then they'll suddenly realize that something wrong is wrong in their code there and they can listen to it. Whereas if you just gave them a page of code and said, I'll read through that and try and find where your mistake is, it, it would be more daunting and they probably wouldn't be able to access it as freely. Brilliant. And before the pie was on the scene what kind of things were you doing or were you were you doing the old curriculum um yeah there was an amount of what was called control in the old curriculum which used floor robots and things like that so there were aspects and we tried to incorporate some parts of computing but without a structured computing curriculum it was very limited to your creation as aspects so we would do a lot of using digital media and taking content and recreating it in animations and videos and all of that is still in the computing curriculum it's just now we've got the focus on the computer science aspects as well as those IT skills. And have you seen a difference since 2012 when you started doing this yourself? Children that I work with that have been used to the, the Raspberry Pi tend to be a lot more resilient. They know that tech doesn't always work when we want it to. Um, they know that it probably won't work the first time, which is quite a shocking discovery for a lot of them. They're used to just clicking and it happens straight away. And the, the understanding that you're going to have to try it again and again and again and no one writes it correctly first time is is a makes a real huge difference um i would say we've also kind of adopted some of these things for our other subjects so um when we're doing our writing we talk a lot about debugging our writing and recognizing that that full stop that you always miss out if this was a computer it wouldn't be able to read it so can we go through systematically and check things like that so it started to fall cross-curricularly beyond just using creating a program to help with your times tables or things like that so I come at this whole Raspberry Pi thing from the Linux and free software open source side of things. And one thing that surprised me uh, early on was how little of that seems to 
get through to the kids? I mean, ideas about open source and stuff. Is that something that is ever even mentioned with the kids you're teaching? Not explicitly. I tend to mention it as, again, someone that benefits from the sort of software that comes out on Pies. And we talk about it in the sense of children like to be quite closeted about their creations. I made this, you're copying me, that's not fair. Rather than I did this amazing piece of writing. You've you've taken some of those ideas and added them to your own. That's a real that's something I should be really proud of because clearly my writing was good enough that someone else wanted to take some of those ideas. So we try and approach it in the collaborative with scratch projects you can work on the same projects together or you can take someone else's and build off it which is the underlying principle of those sort of things when you get up to GitHub with code later on. So we introduce it in that way that it's great to learn from each other and build on each other's projects and that together you could create something even better than you could by yourself. But it's a very long journey for primary school children because their natural instinct is that they want all of the recognition for their achievements and that by giving it away to someone else, they might be, be, it might be diluted slightly. That's very interesting to hear that because I would have assumed that they'd be collaborating with each other instinctively. But so you're saying that it's it's totally the opposite of that, and the ideas of open source are, are kind of uh, have to be learnt then rather than being um, intuitive to them. Yes, they. I mean, we do group work a lot in schools um, because you know that's a vital skill that they have to learn and turn taking and everything that goes with that. But in terms of the way education works, you do a brilliant piece of work and that's recognized in your achievement or your level or you get to show it in assembly. It's always placed on the individual rather than the group. There's there's very few schools that um, will, will be able to quantify your role in the group and how that affected this outcome. Um what I have seen is I did an activity last year where I said to them, what are the ingredients that you need to make a good computing lesson um with you know is it the tools we use is it is it the programs we use what do you want me to include in your computing lessons and one of the things they said was partners now we've always partner up when we use equipment but that is solely for a cost situation that we do not have enough money to buy one thing per child one unit per child so they they pair up and i assumed they would much prefer to have their own computer um, and actually they said no, because if someone else is working on their project, they wouldn't want to interrupt them whilst they were creating their game or whatever and distract them so they would lose lose where they'd got to. But if they've got a partner that sat there with them, they can turn to them and problem solve with them. So I think under the surface, there probably are more aspects of that coming through, but they're quite subtle undertones that perhaps we miss as teachers sometimes. Yeah, I definitely see that. I've, I've uh, three kids and uh, the phrase, that's not fair or that was mine, um, definitely comes up more often than uh, you'd expect if they were used to and want to collaborate a lot more. Um, so I, I was just wondering as well, I, I sort of see things online where people comment about, you know, the traditional computer room where you can do most things in a standard ICT suite. What benefits over a room full of computers do you see the Raspberry Pi having? Um, one of the things we tend to like the Raspberry Pi for beyond uh, any other computing system is that we can do the physical stuff. And that means we can embed it into other subjects and make it part of the curriculum beyond the terminal where you're isolated and you're sitting alone at a computer screen. So, for example, when the children became used to using the Raspberry Pis and recognised what we could do with it, 
they would come up with ideas just randomly and say, could we include that? So uh, we made a display of their artwork and, you know, it's all lovely and mounted and put on the wall. And there's a few typed out explanations saying we were looking at these artists or this inspired us. Um, and they said, but it would be even better if the wall spoke to you because then you didn't have to take the time to read what it said. Um, so they came up with the idea of using a Raspberry Pi and a motion sensor that would just then re- say some recorded audio when the motion sensor was activated. And we'd done a um, parent slash teacher detector project before, so they understood the concept could then be applied um, um, and were able to apply it to using it in, in this method with a display. So we just hit a Raspberry Pi below the display with a small plug-in um, speaker into it. And it's things like that that you can do beyond the scope of just sitting at a computer because it, w- it would be a lot trickier to do that with a, a full desktop or in a computer room where you couldn't move the devices after you'd finished programming them. Fantastic. So time uh, is running away with us, so we, we better think about wrapping this up. But it's been great talking to you. Um, if people want to learn more about you and the stuff that you're up to, uh, where should they go and find out? Um, they can find me at Sway Grantham on Twitter, or I have a blog, swaygrantham.co.uk, which is currently going through a redesign, but there's lots of ideas on there for computing, Raspberry Pi, and other bits and pieces that I do. Okay, great. Yeah, well, I'll put some links to those in the show notes. So, yeah, thanks a lot for coming on and giving us your time, and hopefully speak to you again at some point. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, that was a great interview with uh, Sway Grantham. The one thing that really struck me was the age at which the kids are getting into it at this stage. You know, I've, I've, I've small children and the usual thing is they're, they're absolutely happy on the tablets and on the computers kind of consuming. But it's great to see that, you know, even at age five and six, they can create. They just need the opportunity. Yeah, I think that it, it is a case of you need someone who is really professional. I mean, as a parent, it's tricky, isn't it? Whereas if you've got someone who does it day in, day out, and someone who's as dedicated as Sway is, I think that's when you can start getting the, the really young kids into this stuff. Yeah, I, I, well, I'm kind of slightly different. I think it's just giving them the chance, you know, take away the the mystery and the, the sort of feeling that it's something they shouldn't be doing. And I think that's exactly what the Raspberry Pi is designed to do. It's kind of go, here, just play with that. Yeah. Don't worry if it breaks. Just, it's there. It's, you know, see what you, see how you get on with that. If any questions, let me know. And they'll, they'll try to create, you know, they'll try to do interesting things. And that's what I liked. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm regularly working at home, uh, working, inverted commas, playing with the Raspberry Pi. And the kids come in and they're kind of going, what are you doing there? And I get them to modify the code or play with things and then fix it again afterwards. But they're, you know, they're, they're quite happy to do little bits at this stage. Um, and I think that's the great thing. And it really shows that, you know, at a very early age, at a very young age, um, children want to do this kind of stuff. So let's give them the chance. Yeah. And I remember Kat said the same thing as Sway did here about how it was just so daunting for teachers to be suddenly told you've got to teach coding and how the Raspberry Pi has just facilitated that because a lot of teachers just had no idea. Yeah, the, the word I heard used by uh, the teachers I know as well is, is the one that they've all said was the word algorithm, which, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it sounds like a made-up word. And if you think about it, all it is is a sequence of steps. That's it, a sequence of steps to do something. Yeah. But when you hear the word algorithm out of context, when you've never seen it before, I can understand why, you know, you kind of go, oh my God, and I need to be able to teach this as well as old. So, yeah. Well, with that, then we're coming to the end of another Pi podcast. If you want to get in contact, you can email show at thepipodcast.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for joining me, Albert, and thanks to everyone for listening. 
We'll see you again in two weeks with more Raspberry Pi news, interviews, and discussion. Take care. See you later.